Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Cricket Badger Podcast with Cricket 365. The Cricket World Cup 2019. Afghanistan. Australia. Bangladesh. England. India. New Zealand. Pakistan. South Africa. Sri Lanka. West Indies. Let's pick the bones out of this tournament. With your host James Butler, Cricket 365 Zoli Fisher, and journalist Akash Shiva Subramaniam. Welcome to the fifth weekly Cricket Badger World Cup 2019 podcast. And, well, we've just watched England lose to Australia. So there's a couple of us at least that have quite, been quite downbeat as we start this podcast, but we've got a Huge amount of great cricket to talk about that's happened in the last week. Let's introduce the usual guests on the Cricket Badger World Cup Weekly. Well, usually it's Ollie that's feeling quite smug about his results and about how well he's done in the week before with his predictions. But this week it's Akash. How are you, Akash? I'm feeling actually good this week. Uh, Most of my predictions have come right, barring South Africa who I continue to trust, even though it's it's become a one-sided relationship. <laughs> even if you win our competition by 200 points, you just can't get around the fact that you tipped South Africa to win this World Cup. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, just bring you down. Bring you down to be with us. <laughs> Ollie, you're, you're with me in desperation watching England today. It's not going to plan, is it? No, our last two results have thrust us into a very, very uh, uncertain situation now. I hate losing to Australia. I don't like that we lost at Lords. I don't like that I went to see us lose against Sri Lanka. I had a bad week with the predictions sort of on the back of that. Just can't wait for the football season to start again now, mate, to be honest. (laughs) That's the end of this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos, we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. I suppose we better go through the cricket. Let's start with England. Let's get it out of the way and get the tears dried up before we move on to the rest of this cricket. England rocked up at Headingley against Sri Lanka. Well, me and Ollie had England to win that one. Akash had an absolute masterstroke by gambling on Sri Lanka to take that at 6-1. to one. Biggest bet landed so far on these podcasts. But England they just didn't go about it the right way. And I always like watching England. I know they had a good record coming into this World Cup of chasing down big scores. But I always like it. I think the mentality is different. When England bat first, put up a big score and then go out into the field knowing they can defend it. I, I agree with that. I think that seems to be the formula that everybody feels most comfortable with. I think even Owen Morgan will admit that deep down in that Pakistan series. We had a couple of impressive chases and that perhaps might have 
might have given people a bit of false confidence, but of course it's World Cup, Cup cricket, so it's completely different to, to any other dynamic that you can imagine, sort of as opposed to a random five-match series. Yes, my message would be, what did people expect? This is this is England in a major tournament. It's never, ever going to be easy. You know, we're now staring down the barrel of possibly... If, if results don't go our way now, we're, we're looking at possibly not even making the top four. And yeah, we just don't seem to have the, the temperament for it. And I know it seems a bit doom and gloom. And, and we were very optimistic going into the tournament, saying that we had the best 11 on paper, the best squad on paper, you know, the best batting line and whatever you want to say about it. But it's only good having a deep batting lineup as long as you're not 50 for four. I'm afraid, you know, these last two games have really shown us up for what we are. And that is very brittle mentally. Um, the right players didn't show application at the right times. Yeah, we, we, we're staring down the barrel now. I, I really think that, you know, the media are going to get on the players' back. It's got a few days now before we play again. And, and everything's sort of mounting in a negative sense rather than positive. But I suppose this with two group games left is if, if there's going to be a, a resurgence, then it's probably the right time to have it, I guess. But we need to go back to winning the toss and batting first without a doubt. It should be said that England are not out of this World Cup at the moment. They could even get through to the semi-finals by winning just one of those games against India or New Zealand. The question that I had prior to this tournament, England were the best team on paper. There's no doubt about it. You mentioned being 50 for four and having a you know, batting deep, but England are the team that on paper is most equipped to come back from 50 for four because they do back deep. But what we saw against Sri Lanka was a little bit of naivety, wasn't it? You know, The shot that Moen Ali played was... He'd taken the six off the previous ball. They only needed six and over, one a ball. And then he tried to repeat the dose going over long off and hold out. That was naive and a bit brainless. I thought Joss Butler's shot against Lassith Malinga. Lassith Malinga has made a, a career out of bowling Yorkers and trying to hit a Yorker through square leg when you've got Joss Butler's brain, didn't shine him in the best of lights. We can maybe forgive Joffre Archer a little bit for holding out at long off. But then he's done that again today against Australia. So has he learned from his lessons? Probably not. And all it took against Sri Lanka, Akash, was one batsman just to say, right, I'm staying put. Ben Stokes is playing really well. I'm going to keep you company until the end of this. And we saw the way Ben Stokes was hitting that ball that, you know, the run rate wasn't an issue. It just needed a couple of people to take responsibility, didn't it? I think Ben Stokes certainly has shown uh, in this tournament that he has the capability to bat long. Also, bat powerful. We've seen it against Sri Lanka and we've seen it against Australia as well. That uh, he he ran out of partners in both the games and he reached a situation where the running rate kept uh, creeping up to the rate of nine and tens, where he didn't have a choice but to go out and just attack every ball, which I don't think he should be in a position to, given uh, that he comes in in the middle of middle of the batting order. I think against Sri Lanka, Morgan and uh, Butler should have shown somewhat more confidence when they, are rota- they could have rotated the strike much better in the middle overs. I think they dug themselves into a hole by uh, helping Sri Lanka to get pickets by building pressure on themselves, which they could have prevented, but they didn't. And against Australia as well, uh, after the first few overs, England were playing actually well and they were trying to rotate the strike and... They were at least stopping the bowlers from taking wickets. But after that, if you see the partnership between Butler and Stokes, that was a good partnership. But so again, Butler's that one dismissal actually uh, shaped the way match into in Australia's favour. England are the best side on paper. Number one in the world coming into this tournament. The one thing that we didn't know was did they have that champion's mentality? You know, standing on the middle of that 18th fairway, needing to get down in three to win the, the Masters... There are always pivotal moments in sport, any kind of sport, where a champion takes the right route and an also run that ends up being forgotten about takes the wrong route. You know, a champion puffs his chest out, does the business, picks up the trophy. We didn't know if England had that in them. At the moment, Ollie, the signs are that maybe they haven't. Yeah, I think you touched on it perfectly there. That's exactly why the game's not played on paper. There's a there's an, an almost unquantifiable, unidentifiable um kind of force at play, especially in World Cups where, you know, it sees the best players in the world make the make the most um junior of mistakes and, you know, we've seen that from England in the last couple of games especially. I think there was definitely a lot of question going into the into the tournament 
but it was all about temperament it it wasn't about ability we knew we had the ability we knew we certainly had the ability to to sort of win at least seven group games for example cruise through to the semi see what happens but it, like i said before it's just typical england really any anything that can go wrong does seem to to go wrong for us in cricket world cups or certainly has done recently you know that sri lanka game in particular we did okay with the ball we didn't manage to bowl them out but they got to 2-3-2 two, two, and you know every every single person inside that ground with the exception of perhaps a few uh, very partisan Sri Lankan fans would have been saying that England will knock that off no problem but again we, we sort of lost wickets at intervals 1 for 1 26 for 2 73 for 3 we never really got that big partnership going and and then Stokes, who was the one who sort of took the game on his shoulders and was that person who puffed his chest out, who wanted to be like, no, we, we can do this. Um, everybody just fell at the other end. But it's a lack of being in these pressure situations for some of these players, because like I say, it's a World Cup. It's, it's almost something that you can't really fathom until you get on the big stage. And we've seen the same with Australia today. I'm not really sure why we've won the toss and decided to to, to put them in, because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big game and... I think a sign of champions is that you don't always get there playing your best cricket. You you stick to a formula that you know works and you make sure that you get over the line no matter what. And if that means that, you know, we have to bat first, we have to put up a score like 270, 280 like Australia did today, got to bat the bowlers to go out and, and defend that. And, and that should be our formula. That's what we should be sticking with. Yeah, it's, it's just been a really sort of damaging few days I think there'll be a lot of players sat in that dressing room right now while we're recording probably looking at themselves in the mirror looking around the, the dressing room for characters who are going to who are going to step up and kind of drag us out of this rut like you alluded to we're not out of it yet um, we need a we need a favour from New Zealand tomorrow just to keep keep Pakistan below the dotted line then we've got to take care of our own business two more wins and you know we should be golden but um, it's going to be a lot easier said than done against two teams that are playing pretty well you said there we should stick to the formula, and I know what you mean, but mm. my criticism of England is that they probably stick to it too much. You know, they, they get into a situation and they just have one way of coming out of that situation, and if it doesn't work, they continue to hit for the boundaries. And we saw in that Sri Lanka game, you know, I think Sri Lanka are a very poor side. Uh, you know, they're artificially enhancing the table. They've got a cheap win against England because England gave it to them. They've had a couple of no results. But what Angelo Matthews did in that tournament was show in, in that match was show how you win a game by using your head. Because mm-hmm. I, I was commentating on that game and we couldn't work out what he was doing half the time because he was playing out dot balls galore. But he, what he did, he read the pitch, he read the situation. He, he thought, right, if I can get my team up to kind of 2.30-ish, we have a chance in this game. If we bowl well, if Lassie comes in and does his stuff, if the rest of them back him up, then we can still win this. And that is playing tournament cricket, isn't it? Because it's not going out there and blasting fours and sixes and entertaining the crowd, because Sri Lanka's innings wasn't that entertaining. But they won the game. And Akash, sometimes you have to basically just take the two points, whether it's ugly or not, take the two points, play boring cricket for a time, just make sure you get runs on the board and make sure you win matches. England are too obsessed with playing this attacking brand of cricket, which has served them really well over the last four years, but it's not winning them tournament matches, is it? That's absolutely true. If you look at that particular game, it's very interesting to look and uh, dissect at the game. When Sri Lanka were batting first, I was constantly criticizing Angelo Matthews for the innings because I thought he played it at a very slow rate and uh, there's actually no acceleration in his innings. The way he started and the way he ended was pretty much similar when you compare the strike rates. I was really impressed with the way Ben Stokes played because he had to shift the momentum from first gear to, to the place where he starts attacking and he played really well. What could have been a possibility is if somebody had, I mean, helped him on the crease and could have stayed for a little bit longer, if Joe Root had stayed for another five overs and played out Malinga in, in the two or three overs, the match could have been England's favour because then you're just shutting down Malinga, you're shutting down all the attacking bowlers so that it's much easier to attack the others. And also another interesting point, which we could uh, look at both games, both games had a pattern, was Moin Ali's performance. Moin Ali did not actually make an impact in either of the games, in, in the Sri Lanka game as well as in the Australia game. So somewhere his role in, in the team is, is a little bit, I wouldn't say confused, but it, it's a little kind of puzzle that uh, they have to figure out. Well, you mentioned Moen Ali there. There's three players I want to talk about, and he's the first of them. We gave him quite a lot of credit. When Owen Morgan had hit all those sixes, Moen Ali came in, faced nine balls, scored 31 runs, 
hit four sixes of his own. But in that situation, he came in with a platform there, no pressure on him at all, and the ability to just put the front foot down and, and drive through the ball and hit it as far as he could do. What Moen Ali seems to lack, Ollie, is when the chips are down and when he's really needed, when it's a tense situation and when we're looking for a champion, Moen Ali often goes missing or plays a silly shot. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, to be honest. Um, he's just not one of those players that we seem to be able to count on in the big moments to show a bit of composure and assess the task at hand and, and get us there somehow. It, it, it's difficult because I think, as, as Akash said, he, his role's a little bit confused at the moment. He's batting fairly low down, but he's getting the opportunities within games to, to really make, make a statement and make the headlines all about him. But, I mean, that, that Sri Lanka game's a perfect example. So, so frustrating to hit a six and then you know, not to then rotate the strike or do some, you know, do something clever just to just to keep it ticking along. He, he goes again, and that's, you know, that's the sign of somebody who's I don't know. It, it sounds harsh, but perhaps a bit immature when it when it comes to mentality. It, it's a difficult one because you really want to like him and you really want everything to go well, but I just get the feeling overall that everybody's starting to lose their patience a little bit. I mean, in that in that Sri Lanka game, he didn't really offer much with the ball. He didn't take a wicket. Went for forty runs when. When um, when everybody else wasn't really going for much more, and then obviously today he got six against Australia, which wasn't very good. One for 42, but off six overs with the ball, so Australia managed to get to him. I just don't really know what he offers and how at this point he's keeping Liam Dawson out of the team. Well, you say Liam Dawson. I was going to go down the route with a different Liam in that <laughs> Liam yeah. Plunkett looked really yeah. suited for that track today. You know, Liam Plunkett has taken more wickets and overs 11 to 40 than any other. Um, bowler in the world over the last 12 months that's what you need you need somebody who is knows his job knows what he's doing picks up the wicket so he can actually starve that uh, the opposition of momentum by you know taking a wicket is the best way of doing doing that Liam Plunkett for me walks into that first 11 over Moen Ali every day of the week yeah I totally agree with you on that it was more just, you know, in terms of a like-for-like, like, if, if Morgan was determined to play another spin option, then, then Dawson would have been the more like-for-like like replacement. But I totally agree. I think everybody's eyebrows were a little bit raised today when Plunkett was left out. It looked like a, it looked like a good deck for him. And as you say, he's got a knack of taking wickets in the middle overs. And statistics prove that if you take wickets at regular intervals in the middle overs, then, you know, you tend to go on and win games because that's the way that you stop any momentum from, from happening against you. And, and honestly, he must be really frustrated as well because he knows what he can bring to the team and the, the camera sort of panned to him at some point uh, during that first innings when Australia were going great and he looked to be sort of sat on the sidelines with his head on his palm just probably thinking I really want to be out there and, and helping the team I don't think we're going to make that mistake again I think he'll be in for the last two games Yeah, sometimes your reputation as a player goes up by not playing doesn't it but I'm sure mm -hmm. well A, that might not win us the World Cup and it won't be any consolation to Liam Plunkett as we speak now um, Akash, I'm going to say another name to you and I'm despairing really because I, I think a lot of this player at county level is a fantastic batsman he shows signs of it for England but he never goes on and, and makes the big score lots of little cameos it was a very little cameo today because he was out very cheaply right at the start of the innings but James Vince why? Uh, it's very confusing with James Vince because you picked him as, as a backup opener and uh, then he fails to get off to a good start and then he puts puts the team into a really bad spot. You can very well go and uh, play Joe Root as the opener when he's he, when James wins is all he has to offer is getting out in the first few overs. Also, he cannot be played in the middle overs because he is not that person who can come and hit balls from the, the word go. Uh, unlike uh, Jason Roy or an Alex Hale, for example, it's a very confusing choice with why they have gone with James wins and. Uh, I think they could rather go with Moen Ali as an opener and could give him the platform to go and hit without thinking about other stuff, thinking about the run rate and all of that. So probably they could they could gamble with Moen Ali opening the innings rather than playing him at seven. So that's something that they can consider in the near future. I said with Liam Plunkett that sometimes you, you, your stock goes up when you're not playing. Well, there's a man who's got a hamstring injury at the moment. He usually opens for England, Jason Roy, who... We're starting to see his real value, aren't we, as an opener? Because he is genuinely consistent and he gets England off to a good start. And without him, we are really struggling. If he can't play the rest of the tournament, I mean, there was talk about him coming back against Australia, but now there's talk about him missing the next game against India. We need a replacement, don't we? Do we need to look elsewhere or do we? are we patient with Jason Royale? 
patient. We're patient because, quite frankly, he's proved his importance um, while while he's not been playing. You know, like you say, that's the funny way that it can work sometimes. A tremendously talented player. We've seen what he's capable of capable of over the last you know sort of three four years since he's been part of the ODI setup. One of the best openers in in white ball cricket in my opinion and yeah it's unfortunate that the injury came at the time that it did but we sort of assumed that we were in a position where we could deal with it you know we we could get past Afghanistan we could get past Sri Lanka and you know then hopefully have him back for Australia as it turned out he wasn't back for Australia and Australia all of a sudden became a massive game so it's just unfortunate the way that it's worked out but I think that you know it's going to become such a massive game now that that we're going to we're going to rush him back not not to the extent that you know he caused further substantial damage but i think if it's if he's if he's 80% ready then he plays that next game discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the caribbean at the acra beach hotel and spa located on the south coast of barbados this beachfront property offers 224 rooms sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Looking at the table, it was only a week ago that we were talking about this World Cup, the wrong format. People were saying we already knew the four teams that were going to go through to the semi-finals. What's the point in playing the rest of these group matches? This World Cup's just disappearing up its own backside. That's shifted completely, hasn't it? Because now Australia and New Zealand are through to the semi-finals. I don't think any team's going to surpass them. But India are on nine points. You've got England on eight points, having played seven games. got two games left there. Bangladesh are on seven points, just a point behind England. Then you've got Sri Lanka on six, having played a game less than England. And Pakistan are on five points, having played a game less than England. They play New Zealand tomorrow. If they win that one, they'll go a point behind England, having played the same number of games. So we've got a whole raft of teams there who are in the mix for the final two semi-final places. Certainly not cut and dry that England get through. There's that stupid stat, which is, I say it's stupid, but it's a massive coincidence, but everybody's using it who were Pakistan fans, that when they won the World Cup in 1992, they lost their first game to the West Indies. Then I think they had a defeat and no result, two defeats, and then they started winning. This tournament has basically mirrored that exactly so far. So Pakistan think it's written in the stars, Akash, they're going to come through and win this tournament. Do you think they have a chance? And if, if not, who out of the teams that we mentioned do you think are going to get through to the last four? Well, I'd be afraid that uh, afraid to burst the bubble by saying that Pakistan doesn't have the experience to get to the next stage. One side that we can probably see uh, upsetting England for the fourth spot would be Bangladesh. Uh, just for the sole reason that they have played solid cricket, they've, they've batted well, they've bowled well, and they've fielded pretty much well when you compare to Sri Lanka or Pakistan or West Indies for the fact. Certainly, it would be exciting to see Bangladesh in top four and uh, play against the top dogs and look at how they could fare against them in the semifinals. But uh, looking at the others, I think chances are very weak for the likes of West Indies and Pakistan. Pakistan, they, they're a Jekyll and Hyde side too. One day, like uh, the, the other day when they had that fantastic win against South Africa, you know, they looked a million dollars, but then the next game you worry about them. So Sri Lanka, I don't think, have got a threat. I was looking at the, the remaining fixtures for the World Cup and yeah, it is, it is possible for England not to win another game and still get through to the semi-finals. But Bangladesh do take on Pakistan. That's the only time the rivals take each other on. So there's going to be points available there. How confident are you, Ollie, that England get through to the semi-finals? And if not, who takes their place? Honestly, at the moment, I think it's it's down to 50-50. I think um, the, the momentum shifted so much against England and other teams are starting to surge up. And it's a complete contrast from obviously when we did this a week ago and we considered it pretty much cut and dry. It's now such a congested middle part of the table and England still have two very tough games remaining. I can't personally see us winning both of them. So then, then we're going to be relying on favours from other teams. Who do I think could possibly take our place? Well, honestly, that's kind of 
that's kind of completely open as well. I agree with you. I don't see it being Sri Lanka, even though I don't really like the disrespect that they're getting. They've they've actually won a couple of games by playing playing good professional cricket. But I don't think that they should be they should be talked about as if they're having a poor tournament. You know, they've they've won two games. They've only lost two games out of six. It's it's not bad. Yeah, they they probably are artificially boosted, like you said, with a couple of no results. But they've put a couple of good wins on the board. So. You know, but they're not they're not a threat. I don't see them as a threat. Pakistan have got all the momentum at the moment. Bangladesh are playing well as well. If you'd ask me now for my gut, I'll say that we still get into the top four. But if anybody's going to take our place, for some reason, I think it's written in the stars that it's Pakistan. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher podcast. Let's have a look around the rest of the tournament, then we've concentrated enough on England's woes of this last week. And um, let's start with Bangladesh. Um, they de- got defeated by Australia and probably ran Australia a bit closer than Australia thought they were going to do. But there's one man who is starring in this tournament. He's the number one all-rounder in the ICC ODI rankings. He's been in the top three of those rankings for the last decade. And he doesn't get necessarily the, the press that he deserves. Shakib Al-Assam is basically a fantastic player, and he is instrumental in giving Bangladesh a chance of getting into the semi-finals. 75, 64, 121, 124 not out, 41... And then another 50 the other day in the win against Afghanistan. He's also taking wickets. He took a fifer against Afghanistan. Akash, he's a genius, isn't he? He's put on a fabulous show this time around. And if you look at his batting record, it's uh, six innings and 476 runs at an average of nearly 96. This is an excellent average, even for player like, say, David Warner or somebody. But when you're looking at Shakib and getting an average of 96... It is outstanding. And uh, only two players have better uh, average than him, and that is Kane Williamson and Rohit Sharma. So that tells you how well Shakib has batted uh, throughout this time, uh, throughout the World Cup. And also, Shakib has put uh, Bangladesh in the driving spot for most of the parts of this tournament. And barring one or two failures, he's, he's been pretty much the mainstay batting for, for the Bangladeshis. And uh, certainly if Bangladesh are looking to up their ante and then get uh, above England by winning their next two games. And he ha- he will be a key player. And with the ball as well, he's picked over 10 wickets. And this is the first time that somebody has scored over 400 runs and taken 10 wickets in a single turn- in a single World Cup tournament. So that's pretty good average and statistics. Uh, like we used to expect Shakib as a bowling all-rounder. And with the with, with his batting development, he's, he's just surpassed all the expectations. And... He's set a benchmark for all-rounders. Let's have a look at uh, some of the other games. Uh, Afghanistan, Ollie. you've been very rude about my boys during this tournament so far. And yes, I know they haven't yet got a point on the board, but I think they're showing signs that they are learning. You know, they haven't played a lot of these teams regularly. And coming to this World Cup, it was going to be a learning curve for them. They started off very slowly, but they're gradually getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And it won't surprise me still if they don't uh, take a win home to Afghanistan with them. The closest they've got so far to actually beating a side was against India, of all teams. And it showed the weaknesses, I think, in India. Because India's... I mean, I've I've said right at the start of this that I don't think India win this World Cup because they've got a fantastic top order. But if you can take a few of their wickets early, then they've got a very long tail. How did you see that game? I mean, I know, I know you're very dismissive of my boys, Afghanistan, but they did very well to run into you so close. Yeah, they did. They do deserve um, deserve credit for at least making a game of something um, in this World Cup so far. They, <laughs> they, they, bowled, they bowled well. Don't get me wrong, they bowled well. Um, India weren't at the races at all. It seemed like they'd had a heavy night out or something like that when they were batting. They just... They just weren't they weren't up to speed, and it's not what we've seen from India so far in this tournament. You know, they were on 65 after 15 overs, and then they sort of lost wickets at regular intervals throughout the, the last 20 overs, and they never really got any any serious momentum going. And the usual performers, Kohli aside, he got a 67, didn't step up. So that'll be a little bit worrying for them because it's funny we we talk about England and what they did to Afghanistan, almost getting over 400, um, got 397. India will basically the complete opposite. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the, the lowest score that they post in this tournament. But yeah, as for Afghanistan, they were 106 for two, chasing 225 to win. My sympathy extends not very far. That's a game you have to win, and that's a game that can completely transform how everybody back home and all the fans over here 
view the World Cup campaign. It's like they had that moment of joy. They beat one of the superpowers of cricket. And yet again, they showed the, the inexperience, the lack of application and ended up falling short. So I, I'd like to be a little bit nicer about it, but they're heading for nine defeats, I'm afraid. Akash, give me some realism. They're doing well, but uh, you have to note the fact that uh, they've never played in English conditions before. And to put them on, on the biggest stage in world cricket and uh, against so much pressure, it's not easy for us to, to just look at them and tell they've not got seven wins because they're not good enough. It's because they they are good enough. That's why they qualified for the first place. It's just that these conditions are different for them against the conditions that they are used to. So when when the pitch had something to offer for them, in the two games with Manchester, you could see that they they were they were really good side uh, compared to the other games. So when when pitches favor them, they tend to play much better than than they play otherwise. And that has been the story of the tournament uh, so so far for them. When pitches have favored them, they've played really well. When the pitches haven't favored, they've it's 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 more like hit and miss that kind of uh, tournament for them. Probably they'll post the win, but I'm not sure if this is the worst uh, that we could expect from them. If they learn from this, and if they go away and they show application and players develop, and there might be a few more youngsters coming through for Afghanistan, four years' time in India, Akash, they will get pitches that are a little bit more conducive to suiting their skills, and no team, I don't think, in four years' time will be able to take them lightly. There will be only a few teams, uh, to be honest, that could... uh, that could possibly go against the Afghanistan spinners and that could be probably, say, India or New Zealand. And they, they could only be a handful of teams and that certainly would be in their mind to get exposure in this World Cup and to build that momentum towards the next World Cup where pitches would be in their favour. And, and by then, I think Rashid Khan and uh, Mujib would be in proper form and they would, they would have gotten used to the international exposure rather than than say a domestic cricket kind of exposure. I'm going to go early, guys, in my champagne moment of this week. I was lucky enough to commentate on the game between New Zealand and the West Indies at Old Trafford last weekend. And it was one of the most exciting games I think I've ever commentated on. New Zealand made 291 for eight. A superb century from Kane Williamson took them up to that score. And it looked like it was going to be enough for a long, long time because the West Indies lost regular wickets. It was looking pretty dire for them at one stage. But then a certain Carlos Brathwaite came to the crease. He'd scored 150 prior to that innings in ODIs. He left with his head bowed, 101 off 82 bulls, nine fours, five sixes. But there's no way that he can actually have anything other than immense pride with how he performed there. A few more inches, Ollie, on that final shot that he aimed at the boundary and he would have been 107 not out, walking off an absolute hero. That, to me, that, sh- that moment is my champagne moment of the week. When he was out, it was a sad to see him crumple to his knees. It was a terrific catch by Trent Bolt on the boundary. But that encapsulated, to me, everything about sport that's good. You've got somebody there that's on his own doing the business, the hope that he brought to that West Indies crowd who had gone really quiet, but all of a sudden we're up in the aisles dancing. You've got a brilliant piece of skill from Trent Bolt on the ground who's taking the catch. You go from hero to zero in a split second, and all of a sudden one team's celebrating while the other team's on its knees. It was just an exceptional game of cricket, just crowned with, I think, probably the best moment that we'll see at this World Cup. I totally agree with you. It was a it was a fantastic game. Certainly the closest that um, that we've seen at the tournament so far, and it, it certainly had everything in that last hour alone. You know, it had um, it had the whole idea of of the the team being knocked down and then coming back out of nowhere, and the hero standing there looking like he's going to be the one that gets them over the line, and then him him sort of stood crestfallen at the end, thinking it, it was a matter of inches, and and he really is the match winner, but. It is the beauty of sport, I guess, is is that, you know, games ebb and flow so much. We haven't really seen it too much at this World Cup, but we saw it so much in this game in particular that it, it was, you, you sort of, after watching it, feel a bit exhausted from it all. And, and you, you sort of think, well, how does it possibly get any better than that? But, yeah, in terms of a champagne moment, that's, not, that's, that's a pretty good one. For me, I, I'll pick slightly different um, purely because uh, I am a huge admirer, as, as we've mentioned him before, um, Shakib Al-Hassan. He had a spell against Afghanistan where he, he took four for ten from his first seven overs. And while that's not a champagne moment for one ball in particular, 
I was just absolutely glued to my screen during that spell. He was making the ball do silly things. He was making Afghanistan look like a club side, which they're probably not far off. I'm surprised you've not nibbled at that. <laughs> but yeah, that that's the champagne moment because he's having an unbelievable tournament. Yeah, that was that was pretty much a, a sort of 20-minute spell where he was just absolutely on top of his game with the ball. And, and we're talking about him with the bat. You know, Bangladesh, you've got two batsmen in the in the top 10 for most runs at the moment, and they've got three bowlers in the top 10 for most wickets. They're playing an outstanding team game, and he's leading from the front. The reason I didn't nibble on it, because I was, I was waiting to shoehorn in a joke about you being glued to your screen. My mum always said I'd get square eyes if I was that close to the screen watching the television. She could maybe sit back a bit. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'll bear that in mind for future. Akash, <laughs> just get, nipping back to that old Trafford game, but Carlos Brathwaite's heroics, nearly getting his side across the line. It just shows that a, a game's never dead, doesn't it? You know, everybody was giving up on the West Indies. Uh, yeah, people metaphorically packing their bags. Such an important game for the West Indies as well, because effectively, if they'd, if they'd won that, they'd have still been in the mix for going through to the semi-finals potentially. What an innings from Carlos Brathwaite that was. That was certainly one of the best innings that I've seen in this World Cup for just the reason that he went against New Zealand bowling attack. The bowling attack, which is deemed dangerous, which is deemed the best in the tournament, the way he went against them was absolutely good to watch. But never at a point, I think, uh, in that game that West Indies looked like they would uh, get a victory over New Zealand. Because we've seen West Indies in the past where they've gotten almost till the last over and then give up uh, run chases. One best example would be the game against Australia where they had it in control and then they gave up. So it, there was, I mean, there was always a chance that Brathwaite could have done something like this, but it's more of hoping that something like this would happen rather than uh, being realistic about it. That is a good contender for, for the champagne moment, but I would rather pick Shami's one spell, the last, uh, last three weeks hat trick, uh, as the champion movement, just because Shami has gone through so much in the past and the way he's come back, the way he's fought back into the Indian team and the way he performed against, given that Afghanistan not the best side, but still his bowling performance could have could have really given them the boost, given the, India, given the Indian management a boost going into uh, in the future. So we're going to go Mohamed Shami with his wicket. Shaki for you, Oli for his uh, great spell in that game. And uh, for me, Carlos Brathwaite takes the champagne moment this week. So three different ones. Uh, to be honest, we don't need to split them. We'll have three-way tie for the uh, mug of champagne that we can offer out from that, coming out of Ollie's pocket. It's that Badger style. The best batting performance that we've seen this week. I mean, I've already mentioned him. I just, I just don't think... I know Shakib's got runs. I know there's been some superb performances with the bat. But just from where, when he came in to where he left and the heroics that he did and, the, you know, how, how you can say, Akash, that it never looked like West Indies were going to win that when that ball was in the air, flying off Carlos Brathwaite's bat, heading out the ground until it met Trent Bolt's horrible little fingers, then West Indies were winning that game. He was superb. 101 for me. That has to be the batting performance of the week. Ollie? Maybe. I think I think it would be absolutely nailed on if they had got over the line. Um, but, you know, I think one player who deserves deserves acknowledgement for for a couple of innings he's played in this past week is Kane Williamson. Um, scored, obviously, that 106 not out to get them past Sri Lanka and then followed that up with 148 against the West Indies, which was an absolutely incredible knock. But for me, the batting performance of the week goes to Warner for his 166 uh, against Bangladesh. It's just peak Warner. I know I've, I know I've booed him. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it clearly didn't work. Clearly didn't work. Clearly didn't put him off. But it was just masterful. 166 off 147 balls, 19 boundaries, you know. Part of a very good opening stand with Aaron Finch and then part of an even better stand um, of almost 200 for the second wicket. It, it was just, yeah, it was just brutal to watch almost the way that he took apart a bowling attack that, as mentioned, has actually been very good for Bangladesh so far and helped them build a total that, frankly, they were never really going to get that close to. You do realise, Ollie, that if Australia win this World Cup, I'm blaming you for it because you've, you've filled them into form. Stephen Smith reads the newspaper criticism of him. He reads it and he listen, and he soaks it all in. 
And he says that, well, that gets him into the zone so he can go out there and perform at his peak. So when you boo him on top of that, it just makes him play better. It's a good job that uh, I don't write for a newspaper then, isn't it, really? You'd just be ammunition for him, wouldn't you? Akash, <laughs> let's move away from Ollie's booing and his horrible behaviour. What, what would be your batting performance of the week, Akash? Mine would be a surprise pick. I would go with uh, Harris Sohail just for the sheer pressure that he was put in at that place and the way he performed. He was excellent. 89 out of 89 of 59 against the South African bowling attack is a really good performance. And given that Shoaib Malik had failed in this, it's the same position three games in a row. It was really the pressure was on him for him to take the opportunity and shine. And that innings really, really sealed his place in the next few games. I wrote a piece for Cricket 365 this week about how supporters lurch from one extreme to the other. You're either punching the air thinking, right, we're going to win this tournament. And then the next minute, like me and Ollie tonight, we're despondent and thinking the, the world's going to come to an end. And we, we've seen that with Pakistan supporters over the last couple of weeks, that they do lurch massively from one extreme to the other. You know, confronting poor old Safraz in a, in a mall um, with his family was really an unseemly kind of thing to do. But the reason that article came into my head to start with was Mickey Arthur's comments at the press conference. I don't know if you saw it when a, a Pakistani journalist, he said, ah, it's good not by Harris, but uh, he looked very tired towards the end. He hasn't got any stamina and he looked really unfit. And Mickey Arthur just looked at him aghast and basically said, why don't you just write something positive for a change about my team? <laughs> you know, he's just played one of the best innings you'll ever see at a World Cup and you're talking about his lack of stamina. He scored 80 odd of 50-something balls and it was a tremendous innings. Write something positive, please. And Ollie, I know it's not the job of a journalist to be a cheerleader for a side but if a player's done really well like that it does seem a little bit churlish to concentrate on a minor negative yeah i totally agree with mickey arthur in that it's um he was right to sort of challenge it to be honest because the cricket media in particular in england are, are harsh at the best of times you know they're always looking to pick faults and, and what might go wrong but i think over in in india pakistan the subcontinent it's it's a completely different completely different kettle of fish you know they it's basically, you know, it's it's a it's a religion to those countries is cricket and major tournaments are, are, are the ones where the, the eyes of the nation are to, to use the saying again glued to the TV screens around the country, wanting them to do well and and you know both got World Cup history and and Pakistan's tournament started badly, so of course that instantly put some ink in the pens and and they started writing negative press about the team. And then I think it's kind of hard to shift from that narrative and all of a sudden try and be very positive about the about the team. It, it's one of those things where I think sometimes there can be too much riding, you know, they, they can be too invested in it and it's very hard to be objective from there. And and the same goes for the supporters because, like you say, with the, with the captain getting confronted in public, that's just not what you want to see when he's with his family at all. You, you really don't want to see that. And the fact that he had, the guy who did it had the audacity to video it at the same time, thinking that he'd be some kind of national hero for doing so, that was pretty laughable as well so yeah like I say sometimes I think it can be taken a little bit too seriously Akash the Asian support for their teams has been fantastic in the grounds you know bright colourful loud generally happy generally with big smiles and and, uh, the right kind of motives behind it but you know, as I just said there, kind of confronting Safraz in a, in a mall with the camera phone, expecting to kind of get some plaudits for doing that. It was quite nice, wasn't it, that the majority of Pakistani fans rounded upon that person and basically said, you're out of order, sunshine. That was not necessary from the fan to take a personal jab against the Safraz thing. Given that Safraz has not been in good form, he's not performed well, anything for a fact, but he's still the captain of a national team. So you just have to respect it. And you have to respect all the decisions that they take. It's one thing that you're criticizing them and it's another thing that you're just hurling negatives and abuses at them. So I think there is there is a line that we should draw and uh, it's high time that we draw that line now. Pakistan still very much in this World Cup. So you never know, that fan might have even more egg on his face if Pakistan goes through and end up winning the World Cup trophy. The listeners to the Cricket Badger podcast have gone up by 580% in the last 12 months. Thank you so much for all of your support for the podcast. And if you want to advertise on the show, well, of course you can. You're more than welcome to play your part as the podcast goes from strength to strength. We get in front of a lot of people 
out there. It's a real opportunity for you to put your business in front of the cricket world. Get in touch with us, cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Become part of the Cricket Badger family. Let's move on, chaps, to our predictions for the following week. Before we do that, we'll have a look back to last week and how we got on. And we'll give you an update on our scores and our charity little competition that the three of us have got going this week. Obviously, the cricket uh, podcast, the World Cup weeklies, are in association with Cricket365 and Paddy Power. It's been a good week for Akash, as we've said before. I'll, I'll read you out the totals that we have at the moment. Ollie is still, unfortunately, in, in front. He's on 190 units from the games um, we've covered so far. Akash is coming up on the rails rather quickly, 181.5, so 8.5 points behind Ollie, and then bringing up the rear with a lot of dignity and a lot of effort, but not much success, is myself, 155.95, so there's a little bit of a gap growing. But I had a look through our pre-tournament predictions, fellas, and there's quite a few points potentially up for grabs with our winner, bottom team, batsman, bowler, run spreads, fastest 50 and player of the tournament bets that we had at the start. So any of the three of us could still take the prize. Because we sometimes record this on a Tuesday night, as we are doing this week, and sometimes it's a Wednesday. We always have Wednesday's match as part of our predictions. Uh, New Zealand against Pakistan is the match coming up on Wednesday. And myself and Ollie, Ollie played a joker actually on this one, um, have gone for New Zealand. And Akash is still sticking with his proteas hoping that they're going to find some form towards the end of this competition. But the first game that we've got to call this time around is the West Indies against India. West Indies are 5-2, to two. India are 2-7. to seven. Let's start with you, Ollie, for this one. Where's your five units going? It's going to India. We've seen the West Indies can, can be very competitive if, if they you know, have to get contributions from, from the key players, but India, yeah... They'll they'll get over that sort of blip of a performance against Afghanistan. Um, and I think they'll I think they'll win. Going the same way as Oli, I think India might 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 face a little scare in the at parts of the game, but I think they they're going to get over the line eventually. I'm going to take West Indies. I need to try and make some ground upon you. I did tip initially West Indies to get through to the semi-finals, but I hadn't foreseen the fact that uh, Andre Russell's body was in pieces and Chris Gale's not completely fit either. I'm still going to give the West Indies a chance here. Five to two, I think, is enough for me to invest in. And if it comes off, I might catch you up a little bit. So West Indies for me in that game. We'll move on to Friday's encounter between Sri Lanka and South Africa. Sri Lanka at six to four, eight to fifteen. For your South Africans, Akash, is that, is that enough for you to go with them? I'm, I'm still going to go with South Africa. I think they have to. It's high time that they win matches and probably they will win this match and this time around. I, I don't see uh, this Sri Lankan side having the capability to beat sides given that uh, they don't have the experience uh, with the batting. So I'm going to go with South Africa. South Africa for me as well. 8-15 to 15 is very, very short on a side that is really struggling in this tournament. I have quite a lot of respect for Faf de Plessis and he looks like a broken man almost at the moment, the captain of South Africa, having to kind of confront the media all the time. They're getting quite a lot of stick from back home, I think, the South Africans too. They're out, out cold in the tournament. But I'd like to see them over the next two games just get some pride back and take a couple of wins back to South Africa so they have something to show for their efforts. And for me, as I said before, really don't rate this Sri Lankan side. So I couldn't take them with your money, Ollie, at 6-4. How are you betting on that one? Funny that you mentioned there about South Africa restoring pride. It's as if we're talking about, you know, Afghanistan winning a game towards the end of the tournament and all of a sudden everything being positive. Like you said, Duplessis seems pretty pretty crestfallen at the moment he did a pretty long interview um after they were officially eliminated where he said that it, the, perfor- uh, the performances at the tournament had pretty much been embarrassing and then you know Rabada came out and said something uh, criticizing the preparation for the tournament saying that with the IPL the players didn't really know where they stood in terms of in various dates or whatever I think something's going to come out after this tournament about the South Africa camp in general 
and, and why they've they've looked so off the pace so far in this tournament. But I don't like I don't like their price. They they look so dysfunctional at the moment, and they're they're their eight to fifteen, so that's just not worth it for me. Um, I'm going to go with Sri Lanka because you know they they might still be in it at this point. I think you're probably right, Ollie. There's going to be a. It tends to be when a big nation has a really bad tournament. There's a lot of internal investigations and a lot of ramifications from that. And I think we'll see that over South Africa in the next two or three weeks when they actually finally get home. Let's move on to Saturday. Two games on Saturday, and the first one, well, very important as far as England is concerned because with Afghanistan are going to get a scalp this tournament. It would be quite nice if they took the Pakistanis down and kept them behind. England in the table. Pakistan are one to six to win that game. Afghanistan are four to one. I'm taking Afghanistan. Pakistan can lurch from one extreme to the other. They were great against South Africa. I'm going to hope that they lurch to the other extreme against Afghanistan. And Afghanistan, we've had a few nearlies so far in this tournament. That four to one would see me close the gap on you. Ollie, you next. You know, the definition of insanity, they say, is when you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. That's me coming on this podcast, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Pakistan, yeah. Pakistan will win. I told earlier that Afghanistan are going to get one victory, and I think it's this game. I think it's the game against Pakistan. Right, we're going to close the gap on Oli. With that result, when Afghanistan trounced Pakistan on Saturday, that's the early start on Saturday, the 10.30 start. But later on, on Saturday, we see New Zealand taking on Australia. We talk about big games in the tournament. I uh, tweeted about India, England, and Australia, England, and India against Pakistan. But New Zealand, Australia is not to be sneezed at. Six to four for New Zealand. Australia are eight to fifteen. Akash, we'll start with you on that. So it's a really big contest. It's a trans-Tasman uh, rivalry that goes between New Zealand and Australia. There's only one thing that we have to consider is. If Stark and Co fire with 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 the with the deliveries and with bowling, I think they will get a victory over New Zealand, and I'm going to support them this time. This is a really hard game to call, probably the hardest one so far. Obviously, they're both playing good cricket. They're both pretty much guaranteed to be in the semi-finals. They might even be the top two for all we know. I'm still going to go with Australia on this. I, I think they have the edge, um, but it's very hard to pinpoint why because New Zealand are playing. Playing really good stuff with with bat and ball. It's a day nighter as well. It's at Lords. Perhaps familiarity for Australia might get them over the line. But I'm yeah, I'm just going to go with my gut on that and say Australia. I think we might see a few changes in these sides ahead of this one because both these teams are two feet in the semi-finals already. They might not want to give too much away against each other. I just see this as being the value with New Zealand. There's not a lot to pick between these two sides. And New Zealand are a very very balanced outfit and very well led by Mr Williamson for the six to four goes in my column for New Zealand to beat Australia. On Sunday, now this is a biggie, and this is potential, they could by then be potential elimination for England at the, at the rate they're going, the rate they're imploding. But England are even money, second favourites. The first time that England have gone into a game, I think, in this World Cup as not the favourites to, uh, to win the match. Even money for England. It's 4-5 to five for India. Start with you, Ollie. Where are you going with that? Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to start with me there. I quite like the price on India there. And obviously it's at Edgebaston, which is basically going to be a home crowd for India. I just think this is the one that England lose out of the next two. I think we'll win one, lose one. Um, and I think this will be the one that we lose to really, really up the pressure. And I kind of hate myself for this, but as we've mentioned, we're in this mindset now where everything's going against England. But I'm going to play, I'm going to play a card on India as well. Fourth joker of the tournament for you. You've got five jokers. If, you, if you're new to this... But five jokers where we double our stakes effectively throughout the tournament. Myself and Akash, we've used three of ours. Oli has just used his fourth on India to beat England at four to five. I'll go next on this. I've got to go with England. Even money, I think, is a very good price on England in any ODI. It's very rare that England lose two ODIs on the bounce. It's even rarer that they lose three on the bounce. Even money for England for me. I'm going with India. I don't think I don't see this English side uh, beating the current Indian side. India has got it covered on all bases. Sri Lanka against West Indies is the Monday game. Seven to four for Sri Lanka. West Indies are two to five to beat the Sri Lankans. I can't back Sri Lanka. West Indies are very very short at two to five. I'll take my state money back. Thank you very much, and take the Caribbean outfit to beat the team from the subcontinent. I'm going with Sri Lanka. I think Lasith Malinga would have a, a saying on this game and uh, certainly could be a match winner again. 
Yeah, I think I think West Indies look look pretty fallen at this point, and Sri Lanka are certainly still alive. They might not become this game, you know. They, I don't like the odds on West Indies there at all, really. So I'm going to take Sri Lanka as well. Bangladesh take on India in the game on Tuesday. Bangladesh five to one. India are one to seven. We'll start with you, Akash, on this one. Which way are you going to go with that game? Actually, my mind and heart both says that India are going to win against Bangladesh. But given that the odds are so low for India, I would, I would rather fancy my chances of seeing Bangladesh win against India. Just to just to make the tournament a little bit more interesting. This is tougher than it than it appears on paper, purely because Bangladesh have been playing so well, and uh, I feel like they could certainly play up for a, for a game like this. It's going to be a really good atmosphere again at Edgbaston. But I'm going to go with my gut on this and say that there'll be ram- ramifications in terms of where India are finishing at this point. You know, they'll probably be fighting for the top spot in the group, so they'll they'll really want to win and win against the subcontinent rivals. So I'll go with India again on this. I'm taking Bangladesh, and I'm going to play my joker at 5-1. to one. This could be my way back into this competition. I've been really impressed by Bangladesh. Yes, they've fallen short against Australia and some of the other sides, England as well, but they've got some fight in that side. They could still well be in the hunt for the semi-finals, and I reckon that price of 5-1, to one, especially if I double it up, might just earn me a little bit of respectability in this tournament between the three of us. So, Bangladesh for me at 5-1. to one. Our final game of the week, gentlemen. Wednesday's game of next week sees England taking on New Zealand. This could be, as you suggested a few seconds ago, Ollie, this could be do or die for England. They're 1-2 to two to be in New Zealand, who are 13-8 to eight ahead of this game. New Zealand will have long since been ensconced in the semi-finals by... That. And to be honest, I know one plays four and two plays three in the semi-finals, but you're going to play a good side. So there's, I don't think that we're going to see too much jockeying for position in terms of the semi-final slots. 13 to eight on New Zealand, one to two on England. We'll start with you, Akash. It's it's a really tricky one to go with both the sides, and so my pick would be New Zealand, just for the fact that England are struggling, and uh, if they lose against India, it's going to be a do or die, and we know that any English team in a do or die situation does not do well, and also would play a joker on New Zealand. For me, it's got to be England. I think, we talked about the mentality of champions and stuff, I still think England will win this World Cup. <laughs> the discussion that we had at the at the start of the episode about how we're all completely down and England are basically out. And I've got over that now, Ollie. I've got over that. I'm a, a I'm a glassy car full kind of have person. You, have you um, had that mug of champagne? <laughs> England are too short at one to two, but I think they beat New Zealand. I think New Zealand will be thinking about the semi-finals by that stage. Um, Jason Roy could well be back in the team by the time they get to that game against the Kiwis and. Let's not forget, England are actually a very good one-day side. They can put this right, one to two for me, for England to win that game. I'm going to back England as well. I don't particularly like the odds on that. Yeah, I, like I said, I think we'll win one out of our last two games. Although it would be quite funny if we crashed out of the World Cup with four defeats in a row, having seemingly been nailed on for the semi-finals. Uh, yeah, I'm going with England again, purely out of blind, blind loyalty, really. You think that'd be funny? I wouldn't want to see your stand-up routines. It's that Badger style. We are going to have to be slightly different. We're going to come back in the middle of next week after all of our predictions have either come true or not um, over the coming week. Then we've got kind of mini edition of the World Cup Weekly where we've only got four games to preview, the final four games of the group phase. And then after that, immediately after those games have been played, we will be back knowing the semi-final lineups for games 46, 47 and all that all-important 48th match which will see the trophy presentation given. So we'll obviously do a, a World Cup weekly ahead of the semi-finals for that. And then we'll be back again after the final with our review and our final additions for our competition between the three of us. It's getting nearly to the end, Dolly, isn't it? I, I often think this with sporting events. It's like when you watch the Football World Cup and you get really into it. This Cricket World Cup is exactly the same. Just glued to my TV every single day. And then we're going to get to a stage where we wake up in the morning and it's finished. Yeah, it's a real shame how the Gregorian calendar works. The days tick by, the games tick by. 
it's exciting because obviously the best of the action is, is still to come and that's the way we should be looking at it now. And obviously it's not as if England have a pointless couple of games to come. It's not as if the top four's set in stone or anything like that. So the best is yet to come, but it's getting down to the business end now and then next thing you know it'll be over. And Akash, once the World Cup's over, at least, at least we'll have the ashes to look forward to. It's not like the summer's finished. We've got plenty to look forward to this summer. Yeah, we have got plenty to look out for this summer, but I... There's one disappointment over the last few weeks, which is rain. If if, if it is not for the rains, I think we would have got, got a pretty competitive World Cup. Uh, just because of the rains, we've seen so many sides go up and down, get points without even playing. Well, trust you, Akash, to finish on a low. <laughs> I, I, I certainly did not want to finish it on a low, but uh, given English conditions, you guys have made me do it. But certainly on the positive note, uh, cricket is not over. We, we see the rivals get on the pitch and that, that must be a close encounter and that, that again must be Stephen Smith versus Joe Root classic test matches. So it's pretty exciting to look forward to the Ashes but the game is still not over. The World Cup is not uh, still not over. Certainly isn't. And we'll be back again same time next week. Akash and Oli, thank you very much for being part of this again. Thank, thank you, you. And uh, thank you very much as well to Cricket365 and to Paddy Power for their association with this Cricket Badger World Cup Weekly. Remember, if you follow us in with any of the bets and predictions that we've put up, gamble responsibly and enjoy the World Cup for what it is. Full of entertainment, full of fun, and we've got a whole week to look forward to. We'll be back again, same time next week. We'll see you then. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.